Hey, it's Jared. So, if you're like me, you weren't only looking out for the results from the presidential race this election, because as many of the listeners know, I think ballot initiatives on the statewide level have so much influence over both state and federal policy. And if you look at the past few election cycles, one thing has remained constant, and that's an increasing wave of legalization and decriminalization of drugs, specifically marijuana, starting back with Washington being one of the first, along with Colorado, many states now have some form of decriminalization for marijuana, some just for medicinal, some for recreational use. But the election this past November had one of the biggest shifts in terms of drug decriminalization, and that was in Oregon. So Oregon decriminalized all drugs, and that's not the same thing as legalized, and we'll explain the difference a little bit later in the episode. But this was huge in combating the war on drugs, in the sense that now any small dosage of drugs found on a person does not mean you go to jail. And that is a massive paradigm shift from where we were just 30, 40 or so years ago. I really don't know how to contextualize this, so that's why for today's episode, we're going to be sitting down with Matt Sutton from the Drug Policy Alliance to explain what happened in Oregon why it was so momentous, and what is drug decriminalization? Because I think for a lot of our listeners, you're in states that are going to be considering wide-scale drug decriminalization shortly, and what that means for you as an individual, whether or not you use drugs or not, is a really important thing to know, and how that is a massive shift from where we were, as I said, just 40, 50 years ago. So if you're interested at all in drug policy or what the state and federal government interaction going forward will look like over drugs, stay tuned. Hi, Matt. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. You're absolutely welcome. I'm so glad you're here today. I think we're going to have a really productive conversation on something that I think is very topical right now and important for a lot of our listeners. Before getting into drug decriminalization and all the nitty gritty, if you could tell our listeners who you are and what the Drug Policy Alliance is. Yeah, so I am Matt Sutton. I'm the Director of Media Relations at the Drug Policy Alliance. So I guess in a nutshell, we are working to end the war on drugs. What that means is we're trying to minimize the harms of the drug war, basically by trying to remove as many criminal penalties as possible for drugs and trying to provide people more access to health services, you know, such as evidence-based culturally competent treatment, harm reduction services, and even things like housing and job assistance. That's great. And something that I think has probably become more important, as you said, from the war on drugs going forward, so the 1970s going forward. And there's been this push kind of on the legal level, we could say, for drug decriminalization. So what is drug decriminalization and how does that differ from drug legalization? Yeah. So, and and I'm glad that you brought this up because there has definitely been some confusion about this in the aftermath of what happened in Oregon. And the main thing is 
with drug legalization, people can actually go and purchase drugs from a point of sale, but drug decriminalization, like what we did in Oregon, simply removes criminal penalties for drugs. So drugs are still not legal and you know you still face a civil penalty if you get caught with them. So basically like a traffic ticket, you know, and you would still have the drugs confiscated from you. But, you know, the important thing is you're not arrested for them. So, yeah, in that case, it's in a sense treated more like kind of a health issue that a lot of people have been pushing for it to be viewed as opposed to a criminal violation. That's correct. Yeah. So with that kind of in mind, then, what are kind of the motivations behind decriminalization versus legalization? Is decriminalization seen as this kind of intermediary step, or is it kind of something different altogether as a policy objective? Yeah, I mean, you know, drug decriminalization definitely doesn't end all of the harms associated. I mean, you know, by just decriminalizing drugs, you know, we still have the dangers of an unregulated market. But, you know, it does remove the most harmful component, which is criminalization. And so that's really what we are trying to do here. You know, it's not to say that in 20 years from now, we might be having a different conversation and we might be, you know, talking about, you know, legal regulation. But at this point, the most important thing is to remove that biggest harm of the drug war, which is, you know, the criminalization of drug possession. You know, it is the most arrested offense in the United States. You know, we have somebody being arrested for drug possession every 23 seconds. So every 23 seconds, somebody's life is turned upside down, you know, and they're going to be carrying that burden of a criminal conviction or even just, you know, having that arrest on their record for the rest of their life. Yeah, that number is just astonishing uh, every 23 seconds. And that's obviously reflected in larger kind of trends from the 1970s going forwards in the overall prison population. So I, I would agree with you. I think most people would definitely see this as a step in the right direction, at least from that angle. The last thing I'll kind of touch on in the abstract of decriminalization is kind of this conversation about expunging past records. And how does that kind of fit into the decriminalization versus legalization conversation? And how is that viewed as a separate debate, I guess, rather than current decriminalization? In terms of decriminalization versus legalization, I think largely that remains the same is, you know, we still want to apply this retroactively, expunge records, resentence people, you know. So I feel like that's been happening regardless. I think, you know, earlier on in the fight, as we were legalizing marijuana, you know, it was more common that we would, that that would be a step that would be taken when we'd actually legalize marijuana, that we would start expunging records and resentencing people. But now, you know, across the country, as you are seeing these, you know, drug policies move forward and people are starting to recognize the harms associated with these punitive approaches towards drugs, we are seeing a lot more that states are actually moving to expunge and resentence people at the same time that they're decriminalizing marijuana or in Oregon's case, all drugs. So I will say with Oregon, you know, they do have a single subject ballot rule, which basically means that when we put this on the ballot, 
we weren't able to have something that asked people if they wanted to decriminalize drugs and also expunge past records and resentence people. But that is like our absolute next priority that we're taking as the next legislature begins, that we're going to try to push that forward to definitely introduce a bill in the Oregon legislature that would expunge past records for possession of all drugs and recent people that are currently incarcerated or on probation, anything like that. Yeah. So you mentioned Oregon. And for anyone who isn't clear on kind of what happened there, what was specifically passed by voters in Oregon? And why was this such a momentous kind of movement in the way of decriminalizing drugs? Absolutely. So what it does is it decriminalizes possession of all drugs. So under possession of drugs under a certain amount. So, you know, larger amounts of possession, you could still face criminal penalties. But, you know, what is considered just that like personal possession would be completely decriminalized. So, again, if you are caught possessing any of these drugs, instead of being arrested for them, what would happen is you would face a civil citation, basically where you would just get, you know, something very similar to a traffic ticket. And you would have the option of either paying $100 or doing a referral with one of the addiction recovery centers that are being set up where you would go, you would meet with a counselor and they would ask you about your substance use. And then they would recommend a treatment plan for you. It's completely non-coercive. You're in no way at all obligated to engage in any of the services that are offered to you, but it just provides an opportunity for you to access those services. And also importantly to note is it's not just limited to what we traditionally think of as treatment, but this is evidence-based, culturally competent treatment, it's harm reduction services, it's other health services, and, you know, even things like housing and job assistance, because, you know, we do realize that everybody's road to recovery is different. And, you know, we, and we also understand that if you don't have a roof over your head, or if you're struggling to put food on the table, it's a lot harder to get sober. So, you know, we want to be able to meet people where they're at, and be able to provide them the support that they need, you know, through a range of services. And I think, you know, the other thing that's really unique about this measure is that it it doesn't raise taxes to Oregonians. It actually takes excess marijuana tax revenue, over $45 million, and reallocates that to fund services, in addition to law enforcement cost savings. So just from the excess marijuana tax revenue, we're expecting over $100 million a year. And from law enforcement cost savings and not having to arrest, prosecute, and incarcerate people, that could be anywhere from 12 to $59 million. On a conservative number, we're looking at in the range of like $112 million a year for services. And it could be as much as $159 million a year for services. And that number is expected to increase. Currently, the state only spends about $25 million um, to fund services in the state, which is grossly inadequate. And that is reflected in what we're seeing. You know, we're seeing a really high overdose mortality rate in the state because they rank nearly last in access to actual treatment services. Yeah, that's, I think, really astonishing on a few fronts, which is one that 
I think everyone can agree, kind of regardless of your ideological stance, that the war on drugs has not fixed any drug problems there are, right? We know at this point, both evidentially and kind of ideologically, that putting people in prison does not create a sober society, even if that's what you're, you know, eventually targeting. And I think the second thing that you mentioned is that this is actually going to benefit everyone in the long run, specifically people who have some sort of drug addiction, but also people as you mentioned, through tax revenue and things like that, more robust social services that benefit everyone. And I think that's something that's often missed in a lot of the initially what started as marijuana conversations and are now just conversations about drug decriminalization in general. And I think that's really important to highlight. I kind of though want to shift to something that at least interests me and maybe other people who are interested in kind of this dichotomy between state and federal policy which is that the federal government still lists marijuana and a variety of other drugs as both illegal and in marijuana's case, class one, which is, you know, the highest level in terms of the punitive value of it. So how does a state like Oregon allow for a mass decriminalization without the federal government getting involved? And if you can kind of clarify the relationship that exists there. You know, it's it's hard to think that the federal government's really going to get involved in something like this because, again, we're not legalizing drugs. We're just decriminalizing drugs. So really all we're doing is removing the criminal penalties for drugs. You know, drugs will remain illegal. So really nothing has changed. There isn't really a conflict between the state and the federal level. It's really just how that is being treated. States have a variety of different punishments for being caught with drugs. Some states, you could be caught with marijuana and it could be a felony versus like in other states, you could be caught with heroin and it'd be a misdemeanor. The policies can vary from state to state. So nothing is really changing there. So it's hard to think that the federal government would really get involved. Federal government really isn't that interested in getting involved in something like low-level drug possession. I think that's fair in terms of the the practicalities that we haven't really seen any federal government crack down on some of these state laws. But one thing that is interesting is you mentioned that this is not legalization. How has that relationship somewhat shifted then in states where marijuana is legalized, not decriminalized, i.e. if you're of a certain age can go into a dispensary and obtain marijuana How has the government reacted to that? Or has it kind of been the same as a decriminalization sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, definitely after some of the early marijuana reforms, especially like some of the early even uh, medical marijuana reforms, you know, in the late 90s and early 2000s, you know, we did see the DEA going in and raiding medical marijuana dispensaries. And we did see a number of things like that, or we saw the DEA raiding dispensaries and then like claiming that it wasn't just related to the drugs, but there was other criminal activity, which was really just a cover because there is that conflict between states' rights. States do not like the federal government intervening in that way. You know, it doesn't work out very well for the federal government, but regardless, they have in many ways tried to enforce those policies. During the Obama administration, they actually had something called the Cole Memo. It basically just said like, hands off, the Department of Justice will not enforce this, will let states be and, you know, just let them do their own thing. So it was really during the Obama administration that we really saw much more of a respect for state rights when it came to marijuana. 
However, the Trump administration actually did overturn that and, you know, replaced it with something similar, but like basically did give the federal government more authority to intervene. Fortunately, we haven't seen any real actions by the federal government to intervene with the legal marijuana industry. Yeah, as I said, I think that probably makes sense that that's a fight that most people, at least on the federal level, don't really need to or want to engage in. So I think that would make sense. But there was some news just last week on the federal level as it pertains to drug policy, which is that the House of Representatives passed the MORE Act. And even though most estimates are that it's going to fail in the Republican-controlled Senate, if you could explain what the MORE Act is and kind of what that represents in this movement for drug decriminalization. I don't want to undermine that victory. I mean, it definitely was a huge victory, even if the chances aren't great in a Republican-controlled Senate. This was the first comprehensive marijuana reform bill to ever pass either chamber of Congress. It's the first bill that would actually completely remove marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act. And going further than that, it's centered in, you know, reparative justice and giving back to the communities that have been most harmed by prohibition. That's a significant development. I don't think we really know what the Senate could look like in two years. This is an important step, I think, in building that support and also, you know, signaling to the Biden administration that this is a priority for Americans. Every single drug policy reform that was on the ballot passed, and most of them pretty overwhelmingly. And then just shortly after that, we did see this victory in the House. So I think Policies are definitely changing around drug policy reform in general, and especially when it comes to marijuana reform. So there are actions that the Biden administration could take as well to definitely move this forward. But again, just because it may have a hard time passing this Senate, the Senate obviously could look very different in the next few years. And, you know, we'll continue to change hearts and minds about this. And so I think what happened on Friday with it passing the House, it really was a significant victory that showed that this actually is feasible at the federal level as well. Yeah, I 100% agree that even if it doesn't result in some tangible policy change, kind of the perception of it and the metaphorical meeting, if that's the right word, it might not be, is good, is great. And I think that With the Biden administration coming in, I would also 100% agree that I think this signals that this is an issue that, as you said, a a large swath of Americans in both Republican and Democratically controlled states kind of are on the same page with. And to kind of wrap up here, where do you see this kind of conversation going forward in terms of decriminalizing versus legalizing versus the geographic developments? Is this going to kind of remain overwhelmingly democratically controlled states? Is there going to be something on the federal level? And I guess I'm asking you to forecast something that's very difficult to forecast, but if you kind of have any thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, as I said, with this most recent election, every single drug policy reform initiative that was on the ballot passed overwhelmingly. Our Oregon initiative passed by 17 points. The other initiative in Oregon to legalized psilocybin for therapeutic use passed by 14 points. The initiative to deprioritize psilocybin in DC passed by 76% of the vote. We passed medical marijuana in Mississippi 
which is huge because that's a region of the United States that's been particularly hard hit by the war on drugs in an area that has some of the stiffest penalties for drugs. And yet we've Mm. seen no real reform. And, you know, we saw in South Dakota, they simultaneously passed medicinal and adult use marijuana. You know, it is something that the Drug Policy Alliance has actually been working on for the last 20 years through the legislature, and we haven't been able to get it passed. So I think even that showed the disconnect between legislators and what the public actually wants. And I think it was an overwhelming message from voters that drug policy is a huge priority. And in fact, it's actually this election, it seemed to be the thing that most Americans could agree on. You know, they couldn't agree on the president, but they, <laughs> they could clearly agree on drug policy reform in red and blue states. So I think that's really positive. And I think it sends a message to legislators. In terms of all drug decriminalization, I think the fact that this did pass and that it passed so overwhelmingly really shows that this is politically viable in the United States. And I think what we're going to see from this is a cascade of efforts around the country to really implement other policy priorities that center public health over criminalization. We know of a number of other states that are already planning to introduce their own all-drug decriminalization measures, including California, Washington, and Vermont. And the Drug Policy Alliance actually introduced a federal framework for all-drug decriminalization, which has already received a lot of interest at the federal level. And we have actually secured a House sponsor for that. I can't say who it is yet, but what I can say is that bill will be introduced at the top of the 2021 session. So we'll be facing the same hurdle that we're currently facing in the Senate, but having that bill introduced will allow us to start building support at the federal level for it as well. And even the win in Oregon, it's not even just limited to building momentum in the United States. But shortly after we saw in Vancouver, their city council actually voted to decriminalize all drugs. And they're in the process of trying to secure permission from the Canadian federal government to allow Vancouver to move forward with decriminalizing all drugs. So this definitely lit a fire. We're going to see that really spread. And I think even more so as we start seeing the positive results from this and how it's inevitable that as we start providing people access to health services that they want and need, that we're going to see really positive health outcomes, as we've seen in other countries that have been experimenting with this for quite some time. You know, Portugal decriminalized Mm -hmm. all drugs in 2001, and they've seen a huge decrease in overdose deaths. They've seen a huge decrease in the rate of HIV and other infectious disease transmission. And they've seen a huge increase in people voluntarily accessing services because you no longer have that barrier of criminalization that prevents people from accessing services because of fear of being criminalized or the stigma that's associated with something that's criminalized. I would expect that this is going to be very similar to the first marijuana reform victories and that we will see a lot more of these initiatives taking place. I would suspect that 2022 election cycle and the 2024 election cycle that, you know, that there will be many more states which will be trying to decriminalize all drugs. And as we are doing in California and Washington, we're actually trying to move this forward 
through the state legislature as well. It won't just be limited to the ballot box, but there will be a lot of efforts to move this forward at the legislative level as well. Well, I eagerly await a bill in the federal system as well as in all these other states and awaiting the cascade, you could say, of drug decriminalizations. Matt Sutton, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Contested. If you like what you heard, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. And if you feel so inclined, please share this with a friend or family. The only way we're allowed to operate is through the support and listening of people like you. I want to extend a massive thank you to Matt Sutton from the Drug Policy Alliance. And if you're more interested in drug policy, check out their website. They're doing a lot of different initiatives in a lot of different states. As always, shout out to Adam for editing, Catherine for doing our social media, and until next time, thank you for helping us understand politics together.